Well, if you guys have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Oh, no, this is fine. Yeah. I like being in this spot because I can see everybody better. So, yeah, and the, the verses will be on, your, on the screen as well. Um, so, um, and next week, we're going to have um, Foursquare Missionary George Klein will be with us. And he's a super cool guy. Um, He's in his 70s, but he runs circles around me, and I'm in my 20s, and uh, he's going to be, it's going to be very like Q&A type setup with George, and uh, just have an opportunity to kind of dialogue with him, um, not just about what God is doing around the world, and he travels everywhere, he travels to Africa, Asia, and he's probably going to be coming back from like Nigeria or something, um, and uh, he's going to be with us during that time, but also just talking to us about what it means to be a missionary in our world as we live in Stockton and in Ripon and Manteca. How can we be more effective in, in what it is that God has called us to? And so um, I've invited some people to come that aren't normally a part of our, our church just because I know how awesome it's going to be with George uh, next Saturday. So um, if you have anybody who you think would like to come and just connect with George, you, you won't. Um, Chuck knows him and he's, he's met George. He's awesome. George is the best. So um, yeah, so that'll be fun next week. But this week, we're going to kind of break down the last half of chapter 14. Um, I can't believe we're already in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians and that we spent the last five and a half months kind of journeying through um, Paul and this writing to the church in Corinth and um, some super difficult passages and some really, really cool ones also. And um, I can't believe we're almost to the end. We're going to finish up in August and see where God takes us after that. But um, just what a... I love that this book um, is so powerful yet gentle and loving at the same time. That Paul, in one way, slaps us across the face, and in the other way, he like gives us a big hug. And so um, that's just such a nature of how he writes, and I think really reflects kind of um, the heart of Jesus that Paul had as well. That Jesus definitely had times where he grabbed his disciples by the face and and just kind of said, "Hey, we need to do something a little different here." And then other times where he's like. Okay, but I also love you and care about you and, and want to bless you. And so um, that's what I love about the book of 1 Corinthians. But last week, if you can remember, if you were here or you listened to the podcast, um, we talked about oikotome, which is this idea of a mutual building up or edification or um, strengthening of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's a Greek word, and uh, we're going to talk about kind of a second meaning tonight of that word as well. But we talked about how the gift of tongues um, specifically works to build our intimacy and our personal walk with Jesus. It's typically, unless there's an interpretation, it's designed to be for us and Jesus to have kind of this intimacy, this, this language that we share with one another where we can kind of get right to the heart of God. And then prophecy, on the other hand, is, is more designed for um, this mutual building up of, of Christians, of people in the body of Christ, that there's something that it, it adds to the body that where we can encourage one another and build strengthening there. And um, we also talked about something we've, we've talked about over and over again, um, that, that the gifts are not designed for themselves. Um, they're not designed to make Christians have big heads. They're not designed to say, hey, you're a prophet and I'm awesome. Um, they're always designed to point us to the giver of good gifts, which is Jesus. They're always designed to point Christians and non-Christians back to relationship with God and draw us into intimacy with him. And, 
And the beauty of um, what Paul talks about in the first half of this chapter is that um, prophecy he talks about that it, it actually does this thing in non-believers where it draws them into relationship with Christ. There, there's something that speaks so deeply to their heart when, when something in, in the prophetic comes forth that it, it draws them to a breaking point where they can come into relationship with Jesus. And so tonight we're going to be uh, talking about some of our favorite words, um, order, mutual submission, um, clear leadership, and how they function. <laughs> yeah, super exciting. And how they function. Yeah, we love it. But how these three things function in the confines of the body of Christ and what that adds to our, our relationships with one another. And Paul shares how these three elements, um, when they're allowed to reign in our community, um, are able to help us build each other up, grow exponentially, and function as the new temple of the Lord, new edifice, new uh, oikotome of the Lord. And so I'm going to pray. Uh, actually, Cassie already prayed, so I think we'll be okay on the prayer side. Um, but we're going to start in verse 26. She might, I know. Not enough prayer tonight. So um, we're going to start in verse 26. So, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing or sing psalms. Another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. Or that word, oikotome, it must build you up, it must edify. And so Paul moves into this scripture with a similar theme to what we had last week. That we're, our church services and everything we do in them are designed to edify the body of Christ, to build us up, right? And that when we meet together as the church, not a building, but, but as God's people, that God has designed this for, be, to be the, for the strengthening of his people, right? And that not only does God design this time to be a place of connection between us and him, but a place of connection between us and one another. That there's this kind of trinity sort of thing that happens between us and God and others, and that's what the church is kind of built into. And so it seems like it kind of makes sense, right? I don't come to church to be beat up or torn down. Um, I don't come to church so that they can just tell me everything that's wrong with me. I don't come to church um, so that I can, you know, pull a switch off the tree out there in some figurative way and let somebody hit me with it, right? We come to church because we want to grow, we want to gain a reprieve from the chaos of this life. We want to be encouraged in the Lord in relationships with others. We come to church for like a, a, a breath of fresh air, I think. Our, our meeting together is meant to be this break from the chaos. And, and Paul says, as we've experienced in community and we gather in fellowship with one another, that we're to be inspired by the word of God and to hear from the Lord, right? And so his word is not just pages on, in a book, but it's things that literally speak into our hearts. They're alive and active in us. And that church is so much more than a service or a teaching or a good podcast, right? We live in a world where there's like a bajillion podcasts. And you could just listen to any teacher anytime you want. And there's so many people who tell me, well, that's my church. But that's not what God has designed. It isn't just about good teaching. It's about relationships. And that it's for us to build one another up. And not just for me as the pastor to share some passage that builds you up, but in our conversations with one another, as we drink coffee and we worship together and we talk about life, that that is just as important to us as anything that some pastor is going to say from the front um, or from some chair someplace. Um, and that church is a series of life-giving relationships that draw us deeper into community with God and with others. And, and the truth and value of this life-springing nature of church leads us to a separate definition of the word oikotome. 
and um, in the Greek language. And, and this word oikotome actually speaks to a physical edifice, a physical building, a physical structure. Um, more specifically, it speaks to the temple of the Lord. And so in the New Testament, any place uh, before Jesus died and rose again, this word is only used to de- designate a specific physical location, which is the temple of the Lord. It is not used for relationships. It is not used for strengthening or building up. It is used only to talk about the temple that's in Jerusalem. And so this word uh, oikotome is used to, to represent a physical location. But when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, that word was never again used for a physical location. It was always used to talk about us as people who believe in God being the body of Christ. It never again referred to this temple in Jerusalem or physical location. It talked about how we, as his people, are living, breathing community of God. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Ephesians 2.21 says, um, We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple of the Lord. And so no, long, no longer is church some place that we go to or a physical location. It is when God's people gather together. And we lift each other up and strengthen one another. And because the Spirit of God does not reside in a building, but in God's people who are joined together as living, breathing church, right? This is like a, an active thing. One of us is an arm and the other one's a leg and the other one's an eye. And, you know, none of us are the parts that we don't need anymore, you know, that they can take out. Um, um, so we all play a, a purpose and a part. So let's carry on to verse 27. Um, as Paul gets into the fun part of order in the church. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must, be, they must speak at one time, and someone must interpret what they said. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Let two or three people prophesy, and let the others elevate what is, evaluate what is said, which is so cool. That, uh, that idea of, of judging a word that has come forth and letting all of us ask the Holy Spirit who's within us to tell us, is this something that's of God? Is this something that is truly of God? Because we have that ability to discern whether this is something from a human being or if this is something from the Lord. I think that's really cool. When I've seen prophecy operate in a way that's really healthy and natural, it's only when I've seen it have that uh, element of evaluating and judgment that's really cool. Um, But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak one after another so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. Sounds like he's talking to kids here with playing with a toy. Um, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. I love that last segment. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Aren't we glad that God is stable, that he brings order and comfort in the midst of a world of chaos and confusion? Aren't we glad that God is not like schizophrenic or he doesn't change his mind all the time or he's not like freaking out, right? Like imagine if we believed in a God who was freaking out all the time and didn't have any sort of foundation or structure, right? Uh, I spend a lot of my days and what I do um, going running from one chaotic mess to the next, um, you know, of relationships around me that are messes, Uh, financial situations that are messes and other things that are just really hard to deal with. And we all face those things every day in life. But in the midst of it all, Jesus is solid and he's secure. He's real and he's comforting that God is that 
like it talks about in scripture that God is the rock, that he is the only firm foundation, right? That story where it talks about when the storm comes, right? And we build our house on the sand or, you know, or we build our house on the rock and that God is, is firm. And that Jesus in my relationship with him and in church community is not uh, what not, it doesn't only just get me through the chaotic life, but it allows me to grow and to thrive, right? In John 10, 10, it talks about that idea of living a, a full and abundant life, that we're not just meant to, to exist. We're not just meant to live our 80 years and just try to like not die or like not mess anything up too much or not take any risks, right? That we're meant to have this abundant and full life that, that is full joy and, and God does amazing things in us, right? We're not just meant to survive, right? But if we live in a world that's uh, of chaos in this life and our walks, Shouldn't our community gatherings, our, our, our fellowship with one another, shouldn't this be a place where we can find stability, right? If God is here and we're following God and God is a God of stability and he's not a God of disorder, right? When we gather together, shouldn't there be some order to what we do and it just not be something where we walk in and it just feels like it's just as chaotic as the rest of our lives? Um, remember that we said our meetings are meant to give us a break from the wildness of secular life encourage us in the Lord and draw us into life-giving human connections. Clearly, in the Corinthian setting, the leaders and the church members were abusing the gifts by, using, by giving them more value than the common good of mutual edification and encouragement. They were putting the use of these gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are amazing and awesome in themselves, but they were getting wrapped up in the gifts as opposed to being wrapped up in the point of why they were meeting together in the first place, which is to build one, one another up and to connect with the Lord. Um, and they were so overwhelmed by the awe of these gifts and the power that they lost, saw, lost sight of why they were there in the first place, right? And gifts, like most other things, are not good. Uh, I mean, they are good and they're not bad, right? But like anything else in life, too much of a good thing is a bad thing, right? It's like anything else. If I drink too much coffee, I'm going to be shaking around all day, right? And if all we do is focus on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and not on fellowshipping with one another, being with one another, worshiping the Lord, right? We can lose sight of, of we can have too much of a good thing sometimes. Um, and, and Paul is calling us to a place of order. And Paul actually says in verse 31 that we should learn and be encouraged as part of these gatherings together. And this, this word, uh, this phrase that he talks about in there, learning and being encouraged, actually means to be comforted. It means to be exhorted. It means to be striving towards the Lord. And so when we come to church when we are part of community that God wants us to be comforted, he wants us to be exhorted, and he wants us to push ourselves into mutual striving to be closer to God, right? Those are all things that we should desire. And the church is not just a place where we can stir up the awe of the gifts, but a place for us to, um, to be striving for a deep place with the Lord. Um, and I remember many times with our youth leaders um, in youth ministry for eight years, our number one rule was always that we had to provide, provide a safe place for people to come. That if our kids didn't have a safe place to go, that they weren't going to learn or grow in the Lord at all. If everything was chaotic and they felt like they were in danger or they felt like they were going to get hurt or made fun of, they were never going to have an opportunity to connect with the Lord. And so our always baseline thing was to provide a place that was safe and secure. And then off that, we could build a place where they could connect with Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying about church is that we have to provide a safe place where it's not chaotic, it's not crazy, it's not wild, there's order. It doesn't have to be like everyone prophesying at the same time or everybody giving a tongue or a word, right? Paul says that prophets can actually be quiet sometimes and just listen for somebody else. It's okay. They don't have to talk the whole time, right? 
Um, and so providing a safe place is so important. It's at the core of Paul's heart for this church. All right. So we're going to get to the hard part now. With order in mind, Paul comes back to the issue of women, which he's talked about several times in this uh, book. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in the church meetings. Trish, come on. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> For the record, I think this is one of the toughest passages in the entire New Testament um, that many pastors have used and abused to relegate women to a subservient role. This passage has been beaten to death, and churches and denominations use it to just say women are pushed to the sidelines. And that is not at all what Paul is saying. It's not even close to what his heart is. Paul is not a woman hater nor a chauvinist. Remember that what we've already spoken about in, in the previous chapters of of 1 Corinthians and in the New Testament, right? Paul speaks of women who prophesy, who worship, and who pray in public gatherings. He talks about that constantly. He talks about later in other books that there are women who are lead pastors of churches. Jesus first appears to women at the tomb after he is risen from the dead, right? He didn't appear to men, he appeared to women. There were many female disciples that were uh, part of what Jesus was doing, not his 12, but the outer ridges of his disciples. There were many women. And the Holy Spirit in the upper room, when there were the 120 that were gathered, many women were in that gathering as well. So if, if Paul was a chauvinist or God was a chauvinist, right, why would he have done all of these things, right? And so women clearly play a huge role in the church um, and are integral to spreading the gospel. So Paul isn't making a broad statement about the role of women and their inferiority to men, what is he really talking about? Well, I think that Paul is speaking to a larger theme of order in the church and getting back to the roots of why the church assembles in the first place, right? So I think we have to understand the culture of the time to understand what Paul is talking about. So oftentimes during that period of time, men and women would sit on separate sides of the church, right? In the synagogue, that most Jewish people grew up in the synagogue. Men would sit on one side, women would sit on the other, right? So they weren't sitting in families. It wasn't like they had crayons where their kids could sit under the chairs and do this whole thing, right? Um, it wasn't uncommon in Jewish gatherings, even if you go today um, to the synagogue, and Cassie and I have gone several times, it's a very interactive experience where they would discuss and there were questions that would go on and people could talk. And it's very, it's not this thing where you sit and listen to some guy talk and then the thing's over, right? It's this very interactive sort of thing they have. They celebrate birthdays even in synagogues today and they pray for each other and happy. It's, it's a really fun experience, um, but it's very interactive, right? And so with that being said, scholars believe that people in the church had begun um, during this time of dialogue to yell over each other, right? Have you ever been in one of those conversations, especially happens with family, where you get really like pumped up about politics or something, and right, everybody's so excited, they just start yelling over each other because they can't get a word in edgewise, and it's just, it's, you, it just turns into this big blob of like, you don't even know what people are saying because everyone's yelling at each other, right? In love, of course, but this is what was happening in the church, right? Women were beginning to scream at their husbands or yell at their husbands, challenging their views of scripture, and asking questions with passion, right? These, these are passionate things. They're talking about the Lord. 
Um, and the environment was creating chaos and dividing the church community instead of providing a safe space for people to grow in their walks with the Lord and get a reprieve from the wildness of life, right? Even if you look at the section where Paul says women should not speak in the church, this word speak actually translates to babble, argue, or chatter. It doesn't talk about just like a conversation we're having. It's speaking of a word where they're just babbling on, where they're where they're chattering, where they're arguing with one another. And so there are these arguments going on, and Paul is saying, like, hold on, hold on, why are we here, right? This discussion is okay, but we need to tone this in, we need to bring some order to this um, so that we can get back to the reason why um, we're here, which is mutual edification and peace from the chaos of this life. So he's not making some broad statement about women um, that we Christians should argue about. He's really just trying to restore order in the church. So let's carry on in verse 36. Or do you think that God's word originated with the Corinthians? Are you the ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that I am saying what I'm saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. So Paul gets back to what he does so often is he's talking about pride here. Um, He's speaking to people um, who had let the gifts kind of get away from them. And I imagine in this setting that they were like, I'm a prophet and starting to get a big head. And I, well, I speak in tongues more than you do, right? And, and well, I'm a better giver than you, or I'm, I'm definitely a better teacher, right? We can start to kind of like feel, oh man, I got this, you know? And people were beginning to, to feel special or make themselves feel uber spiritual. Like, oh man, I must be God's favorite, right? And Paul is reminding us in the the church, that the gifts are not the point. The point is the giver of good gifts, right? In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 11, it says um, that all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So these gifts, gifts are not because of us or because we do something amazing. These gifts are from God for God, right? They're for the edification, the building up, the, the glorification of God. Um, and the Corinthians had apparently veered from this truth and began taking credit for these miraculous signs and wonders, right? And there were times even when Paul would be out someplace and he would be used by the Holy Spirit to do a miracle or heal someone or something, right? And people would begin to like, Paul, you're so awesome. You're amazing, right? And Paul would always steer them back and say, no, no, no. It's not about me. It's about God. So if you want to worship somebody, I'm going to tell you who you should worship. And his name is Jesus, right? And so he would always steer us back. And so Paul is refocusing us again, and he doesn't want us, as some translations say, to be ignorant about these truths. Um, But he wants us to follow structure and order that God has laid out for us. So to finish this passage, and chapter 15 is going to be all about Paul talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, But he touches on, on a little thought here before he finishes this tension that exists in Scripture. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters... Um, and you can see that he has love for them, right? As he talks brothers and sisters, sometimes he says, um, my children, right? Paul is like their spiritual father. He's their pastor. He's their leader. He's, he cares about them, right? And it's really hard even in our lives to speak anything into anybody's life that we don't truly care about, right? If they don't know that we love them, then they're not going to care what we have to say about what they should do in their lives. And Paul understands this. He says, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done in proper order or everything is done decently, fittingly, and orderly, as some translations say. So Paul finishes out this, this section with attention. 
And I love that scripture has these tensions. I love that scripture isn't just always this black and white thing. Do this and don't do this, right? There's always these like, it's like a teeter-totter thing that you have. And there's one thing on one side and one thing on the other. And, and Paul says on one hand, we should value and, and love the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says that we should eagerly desire them in verse one of this chapter. That prophecy and speaking in tongues amongst the nine gifts he talks about um, are powerful signs of God's love and faithfulness to us. They are powerful realities that Jesus is alive, right? And so we should, we should pursue those. We should eagerly desire them. But on the other hand, he tells us that we should conduct our gatherings in order with structure and with mutual building up. Because we are, after all, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ. We are the representation of who Jesus is in physical form on this earth. And when people don't know who God is, they look to the church to be some symbol of who God might be, right? And if we can't figure this out on our own, then how can we possibly tell anybody that they should be a part of this if we're all just in chaos, right? Imagine that you're a non-believer and you walk into a gathering where it's just insane. People are running all around the building and they're prophesying over here and speaking in tongues over here, right? Wouldn't that freak you out? Like, why would I want to be a part of that? That would just be creepy, right? Paul is saying, don't be creepy. Bring some order to this thing. Do this in order and let God get the glory for it instead of it being this freak show thing that goes on, right? And church community is meant to be a break from the chaos and the confusion of this world. The body of Christ is meant for the encouraging and strengthening and the growing of individuals and as the group. We cannot allow the chaos of life to penetrate the one safe place in this world, which is the church, which is being with Jesus. We have to protect the sanctity of our relationship with God and with his people when we spend time together. So with that being said, I have a couple of discussion questions, and this is usually the time where we kind of open it up and chat and dialogue together.